This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night, and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment, and there's also a glossing detangling which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. Sephora stores are everywhere you are, so just pop in when you need a brown lip to match your 90s playlist, a confidence boost before your interview, or a last-minute gift for mom's birthday. There's always a Sephora near you. Just pop in. Use our store locator to find your local Sephora or Sephora at Kohl's. Welcome to the Mom Room. Today we are talking about skincare. And it's not the kind of skincare where you're going to be like, oh man, I can't keep up with that. I can't do that. It's too many products. Because that's what I always think. I see people with these 10-step skincare routines online. And while I wish I had the time and the money and the patience to have a 10-step skincare routine, I just do not. And I feel like most people listening probably don't have the time either. On the podcast today, I am talking in person because I recorded this in LA in studio with Dr. Kyle Landry. Now, he was recruited by Dr. Sinclair to do postdoctoral research. Most people apply to do postdoc research. He was recruited. He was a food scientist, and because of his work on extremophiles, which are, guys, I'm not going to be able to explain it, but it's basically organisms that thrive in extreme environments. Dr. Sinclair at Harvard Medical School wanted Dr. Landry to come work with him because of his work with extremophiles because they are so beneficial for skincare and longevity. He explains all of this stuff much better than I do. We also talk about skincare myths, sunscreen, space, all the good topics. Dr. Sinclair and Dr. Landry founded Delavie Sciences to disrupt the skincare market, which we need, guys, we need that, and develop truly cutting-edge products featuring scientifically proven patented ingredients. We also get into the typical research and development of a skincare brand versus what they do at Delavie Sciences. So without further ado, guys, this is a very interesting episode. Please welcome Dr. Kyle Landry to the mom room. All right. So one thing I know about you is that you have a background in food science, which is super interesting. Now you're in the skincare industry. Did you ever think while you were going through grad school that you would end up in skincare? Or is this just like a huge pivot that came out of nowhere? Yeah, it came out of nowhere. Yeah. Basically, everything I've done has come out of nowhere. Uh, so, you <laughs> same, know. Same. Same with me. <laughs> you know, I went to grad school. One, I didn't even want to go to college. And I was going to enlist in the Navy. And then my dad goes, hey, you know, just apply to one school. Yeah. And I was like, well, what do I want to do? So I see food science. I'm like, well, I like food and I like science. So, so let's go. Because most people don't even know that exists. Mm-hmm. So I do that. 
I go through grad school and then I was like, you know what? I think I'll just be a professor. It'll be such a... As we do in grad school. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I just want to be a professor. It should be fun. I started teaching at Boston University when I was 23 or 24. So I was already teaching and I was like, oh, I'll just slide right in. And then all of a sudden, you know, something came out of left field and I said, yeah, why not? You know, I can always go back and teach. I can always go back and do that. And now somehow I went from that to working on some cool defense projects to work on some NASA subcontracts to now skincare. So you were basically recruited. Is that like the correct way to put it from David Sinclair? Like he kind of handpicked you. Yeah, he poached me. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So it's a funny story. So I remember this clear as day. I'm hanging out on the fourth floor of my building. I'm walking around and then my phone rings and it's a Boston number. And I'm like, oh, it's probably BU or something like that. So I answer it. And it's this guy. And he's like, hey, is this Dr. Landry? I'm like, hey, you know, it's Kyle. You know, what's going on? Can I help you? He goes, hey, I read some of your papers. You're the only person in the world doing this stuff. Can you come, you know, show me what you're doing and potentially come be a postdoc in my lab? So I went down to my advisor and I said, hey, you know, I just got a pseudo offer for a postdoc position at Harvard Medical School you know, can I graduate now type of thing. Yeah. And we looked up who David was and she was like, are you serious? Is this a scam? Like, what's going on? <laughs> like, it was crazy, right? Academic scam. Yeah. So who knows? Are I going to be abducted? You know, what's yeah. going on? I just went there and ended up here. I love that. And so for people listening, can you kind of explain how, what you were doing in the world of food science how is that even applied to skincare? Or why is somebody in the skincare industry interested in what you were doing in food science? So it wasn't even, so I'll just say one thing about food science is that it's a good balance between applied and academic research. So a food scientist is one that has to take the academic research and the knowledge and turn it into something. A lot of people in chemistry or biochem, stuff like that, they, they usually stay in one side or the other. They don't really transition something from research all the way through to a product. But a food scientist does that all the time. Like that's, you know, you come up with a new idea, you have to research, you got to put it together, then you got to figure out how to scale it, and then you got to bring it to the market. But what I was working on at the time, I was purifying these really cool enzymes from extremophiles, which are organisms that live in extreme environments. And why that's attractive or was attractive to, you know, the longevity genetics field was extremophiles somehow have to protect their genome in their bodies from harmful things that happen in the environment, whether it's heat, whether it's UV, oxidative stress. So how can they do that and still thrive where if we sit out in the sun, you know, we get incinerated. Yeah, we can survive and go on, but, you know, there's detrimental effects where there are organisms that can just sit out there have no problems. So I got poached for that one thing because I was working with organisms that had cool enzymes that could repair and break down DNA. And David at the time was trying to figure out how to repair DNA using extremophiles and, and stuff like that. So that came over. Now for skincare, you know, it's all about protecting and preventing damage, right? A lot of people have this mentality where I only have to worry about it once I see problems. It's like mm -hmm. a treatment, a Band-Aid thing. But they should be thinking about it as, what can I do to prevent those things from happening in the first place 
so you don't have to figure out or worry about replacing or repairing later on. And that thought process that came from extremophiles on how to protect and repair and prevent is what we put into our skincare concepts where we're not necessarily wanting to treat something. We want to make your skin be as efficient, as effective as it can be to protect itself from all these things. It's a very long convoluted story on how it connects, but I think being able to go from research to product is something that food science definitely helped with. Mm -hmm. And can you explain a little bit about the typical skincare company? What R&D or research and development are they going through for their products Mm -hmm. versus a company like Delavie? How how do you pronounce that? Yeah, well, I have a Boston accent, but I say Delavie. Or De, De or De La Vie. De, all depends. Okay. <laughs> you know, if you ask a French-speaking person, they would say completely different, you know. De La Vie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, because you know. De La Vie was founded in January 2022. Mm-hmm. So, what came first? Like, finding these unique ingredients that would be beneficial for skincare, and then you're like, wow, we got to make products with this, or was it Delavie was founded with the intention of then going out and finding ingredients that would be beneficial. What came first? Yeah, I'll tell you. So originally, I was working in a quasi-defense-oriented company and like a pharmaceutical company. And that's how we were connected with NASA. So I'll go way back. And in 2016 or 17, a sister company of ours in the company was developing a small molecule that could be used to protect the human's genome during long space flight. So one of the problems with going to Mars, most people think it's like rockets and all this stuff. It's actually how do we protect our bodies from chronic exposure to cosmic radiation? Because there's not enough shielding on the capsules to minimize or stop all of the high energy particles from going in. So what would happen is we would get dementia, we would go blind, we'd have all these problems because we're floating out there for months and months and months being bombarded by all of these things. So there was a small molecule that we submitted into a project for NASA called the NASA iTech Award, where basically we're saying, hey, here's some technology that we could help develop for long space travel, long duration space travel. And we won that award. And that really started the connection with NASA. Now, the next thing was, okay, I was introduced to this really cool guy at NASA Jet Propulsion Labs from someone at Fort Detrick, which is a, a military research facility. He's like, hey, Kyle, you do stuff with extremophiles. I want you to meet, meet this crazy guy who does stuff with extremophiles. So I met him right here in Pasadena. And he's like, hey, Kyle, I have this organism that we put outside the International Space Station, and it survived for 18 months. And we think it would be really good for like a sunscreen or some type of application. But, you know, we don't commercialize anything. I have these papers, I have this, you know, patent thing. Can you do something with it? So I was like, okay, sure. So we took it and, you know, the scientists worked on it for a year and a half. And we found this really cool ingredient. And But we're at a crossroads because the ingredient was really good at protecting against UV damage. But in the United States, sunscreens and UV filters are a drug. So you would have to go through a drug registration process very long time. And skincare products do not go through that same no, process. But oh. sunscreens do. So sunscreens are considered like an over-the-counter. And the FDA has certain requirements and all sunscreen have to match them. But to develop a new filter 
to say like a, a new sunscreen filter, you would have to go through a drug process. So why is skincare not held to that same standard considering it's also topical creams that you're putting on your skin? Is there a reason sunscreen has to be a drug? I think it, it's, it's looked at as a drug because it prevents skin cancer and protects against skin cancer where cosmetics are fine lines and wrinkles in moisture, which are not detrimental. So it's more the mechanics or what the product's doing as opposed to you're lathering it on your mm -hmm. skin and it can be seeped into your bloodstream. Or... Yeah, but in Europe, sunscreen is a cosmetic. So there's no, the requirements for sunscreens and filters are not the same in Europe and honestly the rest of the world as it is in the United States. Is it corrupt? Like, is this has, like, no, is this, no, no this no, is just, okay, no, like, no. this is me being my, like. No, so basically <laughs> what, what, what it is, is if you have a product that consumers have to trust and believe will protect them from cancer and sun damage, you want to make sure that product is what it is. And that's, that's why it's like. like that it's effective. That it's effective, which is why they require this and that and all these other testings which is not necessarily the case for cosmetics, right? And that's like the dirty secret is a lot of cosmetics aren't clinically tested. They base their claims on the ingredients that they use, but they don't actually test the final formulation or product in a clinical setting. So for example, you may have a product that has vitamin C in there and they'll say, oh, it's a great antioxidant. Oh, it's shown to do X, Y, and Z, but they've never tested the actual product that contains it for those claims. So they're building the claims off of the ingredients where at De La Vie, because we're from the, the drug side, we actually said, okay, let's do testing on the ingredient. Let's do testing on the final product and get claims and data to support those claims instead of just saying, you know, it does this because it has this ingredient in there. The one thing about, and I'm looking at it from a supplements mm -hmm. perspective, I'll be like okay, I want X amount of magnesium per day. And then I find these like really well-marketed brands that have these beautiful products that, mm -hmm. you know, influencers use. And I'm like, I want to use that too. And then I look at the ingredients and like, sure, it'll have magnesium in there, but it's not like an effective dose. And that drives me nuts. Yeah, so right. it's it, it could be a similar kind of thing with skincare. You yeah. know, it's like, you put this 100% vitamin C thing, and sure, maybe that is effective. But when you're buying this expensive product with all this marketing and branding behind it, it could have minuscule amounts of the vitamin C. So is it really working? So being a scientist and coming from a company that is basically all scientists and almost no marketing or anything – we let the data talk for itself. So on our website, we post all of the clinical studies. You can go there and see uh, moisture study, fine line wrinkle reduction study, all the photos, all the raw data. So you can see that we actually have evidence to back our claims where other companies don't. I mean, you can go into any store and how many products are actually showing clinical data or supporting anything? Almost none. It's all the marketing and branding and the feel-good aspects that ultimately drive the sales. And, you know, we're, we're thinking it the other way. We're like, okay, let's do as much research as we can from the safety side, from the efficacy side, and then the clinical trials where we had people use it for 28 days. And we did all the analysis, all the photos, all the instrumentation studies, and then we just put it out there. And I think that's why 
it's so successful because people are looking at it and they're like, hey, this company has all their data out for you to see all the raw data, all the statistics, everything out there. I'm going to give that a try instead of, you know, just a celebrity saying this is the best thing since sliced bread. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. You guys know I have been very intentional with what we've been eating lately. I'm looking at protein, I'm looking at sugar content, and avoiding things like artificial ingredients or colorings. Milo used to always want pancakes or waffles in the mornings, and now he is getting into cereal, and I'm so excited because Magic Spoon is the perfect option. Their variety pack has four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. They have zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four to five grams of carbs per serving. They're made with wholesome ingredients, no artificial flavors or dyes, and I'm just so happy that he's getting a good amount of protein before he goes off to school. And it's a great snack for me and my husband too because 13 to 14 grams of protein in the cereal, now you add a high protein milk, you're set. That is such a high protein snack or meal. I should also mention that it is gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free. So go to magicspoon.com slash momroom to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momroom at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. So try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momroom and use the code momroom to save $5. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this episode. This episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. It is 2024. As busy parents, it's hard to completely overhaul our lives, but what we can do is make small changes that will make our lives easier. And that is where Little Spoon comes in. Their goal is to make keeping your kid healthy feel like the easiest part of your day so that you can cut through all the drama of mealtime. Little Spoon offers baby blends, biteables, and plates. So baby blends is fresh, organic baby food. They have single ingredients, but also multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. Biteables make the transition to finger foods easy because they are cut perfectly to size, which promotes self-feeding. And of course, all the biteables are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. And then there are plates for your toddlers and your bigger kids. They are meals that are free of all the bad stuff. They taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. They have things like hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous things like pot stickers, gnocchi, and more. Little Spoon also has smoothies and build-it-yourself lunches. Did I mention it all comes right to your door? It is super flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. You can pick up the menu and change up what you order every single time. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You and your kids will love it. It's a huge win-win for your family. Simplify your kid's mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. And then it's important also to, like, which is great why you're on podcasts talking about this because the average person, I don't know if they understand the difference between like a sentence that says something like, 
85% of people saw improvements in their skin. Yay. Versus like we did a clinical trial, which is like a legit Mm -hmm. research study. Like I love that you're out here explaining the difference because I don't think people understand. It's the same in the parenting world. People throw these studies at me all the time. And I'm like, yeah. Like you can find a study to back up whatever your thought that you're having is, but the study's crap. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So when you guys patent something, is it the product or is it the specific ingredient that's going in the product? So we, we patented the space certified technology. Which is? Which is the bacillus lysate ingredient that's derived from an organism that was put outside the International Space Station. Okay. So the whole story around this ingredient sounds like aliens. Like yeah. literally, and people are like, this is just a marketing ploy. I'm like, listen, no. It's, <laughs> you can follow the patents from NASA Jet Propulsion Labs to our patents and then, you know, our manufacturing process and all the studies we've done on the ingredient I mean, the Bacillus lysate was actually certified space technology by the Space Foundation, which is a forward-facing arm that basically highlights things that are developed from the space program. A great example is Tempur-Pedic mattresses. That was the cushion used in the spacecraft that the astronauts well, sat on. I didn't on. know that. And then he said, you know what? Let's make it into a mattress because it, it conforms so well to the body. And that's what they did. And when we took the ingredient... The first thing was like, okay, it's great at SPF boosting, great at UV protection, but let's look at some longevity factors because this is where David came into play, right? So I'm with David. I'm like, hey, David, look, we have this cool thing. If you add it to sunscreen, it enhances the SPF value. So this is great. And he goes, well, what else can it do? So we started looking at the longevity side and we looked at, you know, antioxidants, hyaluronic acid, and we were surprised to find what this ingredient actually does. And we put all that data out there for people to see. But the two I want to talk about, which I think will resonate well, is one, it increases your body's ability to produce hyaluronic acid. So a lot of people put hyaluronic acid on their face, right? The problem is, does it absorb? And if it absorbs, how long does it stay there? How long is the moisture, you know, really being trapped in there for plumping? But in all of our tissue culture studies, when we add bacillus lysate, the machinery for hyaluronic acid production is increased by like 230%. What does that mean? That means your body is making its own hyaluronic acid. And what's more effective than your own natural hyaluronic acid? And what's more effective than hyaluronic acid being made in your body where it doesn't have to be absorbed or penetrate? And that's, so that blew my mind. And then the second one was all about hyperpigmentation. And, you know, I'll tell you a a funny story. We did clinical trials, one in New York, one in LA, actually right here in Studio City. And the trial subjects were like, hey, can we talk to you about something? So when a clinical trial happens, you give them the product, you get a little briefing about the product, what they can expect. They need to know what's on it, make sure it's safe. And they go, hey, you know, I didn't see this on the card, but I started noticing all like, evenness of my skin tone and my hyperpigmentation melasma type stuff is starting to fade and go away. Can we mention that in our journals? Because each subject like had a journal recording what they did, what they saw. I was like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So we have all this data now saying, wow, it does something with hyperpigmentation, but 
what, how does it work? So we had to go back to the lab and we started first with enzyme assays and we showed that the space ingredient actually inhibited the enzymes that are responsible for hyperpigmentation production of excess melanin. And then when we went to tissue culture studies, it actually reduced melanin production in overexpressing cells by 48%. So now we have the mechanisms. We have the enzymes showing that inhibits that. We show it's inhibiting the process in tissue culture cells. And we have the clinical trial evidence from the, the subjects with the before and afters and results from that. Okay. And My mother-in-law, she's at home helping with <laughs> our son. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to L.A. She's like, what are you doing there? I'm like, oh, I'm going to be talking to this guy. He's in skincare, like, you know, explaining. She's like, oh, my God, ask him about, because she has really bad melasma. Mm -hmm. Ask him about, you know, what I can do for this. And I'm like, I don't know if that's his area. And it's so funny that you just <laughs> said that. So obviously now she needs to get, and this was with the Aonia yeah, with the, serum. Yeah, with the serum, yeah. So we did all the studies on the ingredient to show how the ingredient in your serum works. And then with the serum and the clinical studies, it was all of that, yeah. That's incredible. She's going to be so excited. It's a crazy story. And all of this stuff is available to see on our website too, all the studies, because we're very transparent. So, you know, we want to show you the images of the tissue cultures of the overexpressing melanin cells before and after and positive controls and negative controls. So if somebody wants to get into using the products, yeah. there's Aonia, there's the serum, and then there's the under eye cream, which I loved. I love the applicator that it's the cold stainless steel. That's very nice. Where do they start? How is it used? Is it something that's used in the morning and at night? Do you put a moisturizer over top? In case somebody's like, I need to get this right now, how do I start using it? So I'll just say we designed our products very intentionally. You mentioned the applicator for the eye cream, 100% right. The serum dropper, it's self-priming. It gives you the perfect amount every time so you don't have to worry about it. We designed the serum to be a replacement for two, three, or four other products that you may have. So, you know, being, a, being a busy mom, you know, it's, it's something, well, hey, I don't need a cream. I don't need a lotion. I don't need this, 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 if this can replace all of that. And we designed the packaging so it's quick and easy, no guessing, in and out really fast, get it going. But what I would start with is... You know, you need a face cleanser to cleanse the face, get everything going. Can you guys make one of those? Cause so we, we're in the – I'll tell you. So here's another funny thing. We have another cool ingredient, one of my patent with David from Harvard Medical School, on a bunch of novel enzymes that help break down and unplug your pores. Okay, yeah, I need this. So that's – that. we're developing that ingredient now. That ingredient should be available for us to start formulating the end of this year. So we're hoping to have a whole cleanser set up with this – patented technology from Harvard Medical School now with all these papers, all these studies, hopefully in end of 2024 is the goal. But yeah, so this, you know, we, bacillus lysate isn't the only ingredient we have. You know, we have a very deep inventory of things we're developing all with killer backstories, killer backstories. But anyway, back to the question, cleanse your face and then use the serum. You always go from light to heavy, right? So you can use the serum I would use that for a few days to see if you need anything else. If you don't need anything else, then the next thing I would recommend is just a sunscreen. Sunscreen to protect against UV. That should be, everyone should be wearing sunscreen as, as much as they possibly can. I know it's difficult sometimes when things are happening, but if you know you're going to be in the sun for a long time, 
I would recommend some type of sunscreen. And so what if you're not in the sun for a long time? Because you always hear this, like put on sunscreen every day, every day, every day. But I don't want that on my skin if I'm not, if I'm intentionally going to be laying by a pool or something, Mm -hmm. I will slather myself in sunscreen. Otherwise, I'm just going to like try and stay in the shade and... I mean, for using the product, if if you need three things, I would say one, a cleanser, two, the serum, and then sun protection if you're going out for a long period of time. But that's a great question. You know, I use sunscreen only when I know I'm going to be outside for a very long period of time. If I'm doing a lot of yard work or if I'm going to the beach, okay, that's fine. But if I'm just walking from like, you know, my house to my car, my car to my office, you know, I don't, I don't need it that much. Some people use sunscreens as like a moisturizer type of thing. But again, yeah, because like they can be built into like I'm pretty sure the CC cream that I wear has an SPF in it. Yeah, and that's like the trend now. It's they're trying to make a universal product that has sun protection built in. Unfortunately, there are some limitations. You know, mineral sunscreens tend to be heavy and they're white and. They, you know, they feel very thick on your face. Oily. And some people don't like the traditional chemical-based UV filters because of some of the studies that are coming out with hormone disruption and the core mm. potential coral reef damage. So you're in like this funny place. But I would just say do what works for you, right? If you know you burn a lot, like for example, my dad's redhead with freckles, believe it or not. And he burns in like 10 minutes. So if he's outside for, you know, doing anything, he knows, okay, I got to put it on because if not, I'm going to be red like a lobster. But if, you know, you can tolerate it, then do what works for you, basically. Bicillus lysate. Mm -hmm. Have you guys had any indication that it would be a good product, like the Aonia serum for someone that has sensitive skin? Yeah. So the serum was clinically tested as hypoallergenic, but there are, there's like some geranium oil in there. So if you're if you know you react a little bit to geranium oil, you know, I would try it in a small spot to see how it works. But so far we haven't had any issues. I mean, we went through the clinical trials and there were no issues with people with reactions to this. So it is hypoallergenic. We are though formulating and releasing a new version for specifically people with sensitive skin. And this clinical trial was done on people who are diagnosed with sensitive skin and there were no reactions at all. And that's going to be coming out later this year. And it's mostly because some people don't like the geranium. So we removed that and we, we changed some ingredients around. But yeah, I would say give it a try and do it in a small area and see how it goes. I wanted to talk about everything you see on social media. I don't know if it's in your algorithm, but for mine... It's these morning routines, these nighttime routines that have 45 different products. And as someone, I'm 38, so I always have this feeling like, oh, I need to be doing all the things. Honestly, right now, after I had my son, my skin started to get really sensitive. And anytime I would use a product that was not just like very basic, like a CeraVe kind of thing... I would get start to get like red dots or like dermatitis around my mouth. So now I'm very nervous to use anything new. And being an influencer, I get sent products up the wazoo. I can only imagine. And I'm always like, I want to try them. They look so cute. Oh, what a pretty box. And, you know, but it's these people who have these very in-depth skincare routines. And in the back of my mind, because people are always like, 
Renee, your skin, you have beautiful skin. And they ask me what I do. And I'm like, guys, I fucking do nothing. Like I, I literally don't do anything. And I've been like that my whole life. So is there something to say for more is not always better? And we don't need all of these things. And actually, it could potentially be harmful for your skin. 100% right. Yes. So one thing about the morning routine, morning routines, I don't know how you could have a different morning routine every day, right? Because all the influences are posting a new morning routine every other day. Mm-hmm. So their, their medicine cabinet must be the size of a walk-in closet. <laughs> If they're using 35 products every morning and each morning is different. And I don't even know how that's a routine. It's not a routine. It's not a routine. It's my morning today. Yeah, it's my (laughs) morning today. But for some reason, people have a tendency to skew their way out or basically say, okay, I have this problem, so I need to buy something to fix that problem. And then you end up using five, six, seven products, but you're not actually addressing the main cause of the issue. And we'd rather buy something to put a Band-Aid on it, then change our lifestyle or actually figure out what is causing the issue. So you're 100% right. I mean, people try to use five, six, seven products and they still complain about their skin. They say their skin is still not right. There are more issues or new things are popping up. And that's because people don't take time to reset and listen to what they're doing. So I'm a huge believer about less is more. Your body will tell you if it likes something, if it doesn't like something, how it reacts. And that's why we built the serum to be like a one thing, basically. It's like, you know, a lot of cosmetic companies, you'll see they have eight products and they almost all are the same thing, but they sell you on, oh, you need this serum for that. Oh, you need this serum for that. You need this for that. You need this for that. And that's a, you know, a marketing tactic, a ploy, because they know we as Americans and as humans like, okay, I have this, oh my God, I have a blemish now. Now I need a blemish cream. Now I use a blemish cream, but that's oilier. So now you need an oil cleanser. And now you need a, a rag to wipe it off at nighttime because you got to remove everything because you can't sleep with it. Because if you do, you'll wake up and you know you look like a raspberry type of thing. <laughs> yeah. So they do all these different things to do it. But I say less is more. And basically what I would do is you know, almost slowly withdraw and stop doing everything and see how your skin that's looks, what I had to do looks after eventually. Like, a, like after two weeks and yeah. say, okay, I haven't done anything. And it's like, well, I have really oily skin. Well, maybe I should look at my diet. Maybe I should look at, you know, my lifestyle. What am I doing that can promote that and try to change that? And then if you adjust all that, you're like, wow, I still have dry skin because of the humidity or the, the atmosphere, the climate I live in. Okay, maybe I need a moisturizer. So you use a moisturizer, you see how it works. Then if it works, you just stick with it. And, you know, that's that's the biggest thing I have is people don't listen to their body. They just listen to what they think they need. And it ends up being a downward spiral. You guys should come out with a lip product because I have a hard time with that as well. I use my very basic, it's made with natural oil stuff, just like a chapstick. Mm-hmm. If I use anything else, I start to get dermatitis around my mouth. I don't know what, like having a child just basically made all these things happen to me. <laughs> I know my wife says the same thing. Yeah. I mean, we have two kids, a four and a half year old and a one and a half year old. And it's the same thing. It's like after the first kid, there was all these things that happened. Yeah. And after the second kid, there was a new set of things yeah. that come out. And yeah. it's not fair. Anyways. Okay. So I already asked you if you're going to create a face wash because that was one of my big questions. The Aonia serum and the eye cream, is this something that would be in general beneficial for everybody? Yeah, I I would say so. Yes. Not just because I'm 
part of the company. But the way it's formulated, it's designed to make your cells more efficient and effective. That's what we're doing. So we're trying to get your body's cells to kind of rejuvenate and be more effective so that it looks better. We're not trying to patch it or hide it or fill it with something. We're trying to make your cells more efficient. So using these products, you know, will just help with that in general. You know, a lot of people say, well, I don't have any wrinkles. Why do I need, you know, a, this, this product? And I say, well, it helps protect against that because if you look at the data we post, it quenches the free radicals that form from UVA exposure. And those radicals are what cross-link your collagen and protein and lead to wrinkles. So it's more of a preventative measure. Again, people are always thinking about treating instead of, well, now it's kind of changing with prevention. But in skincare, it's only recently getting into that. It's mostly with the younger generation because they say, well, okay, I should start doing this to prevent it, right? So I would say it's beneficial for everyone because the way it's designed is just for the overall health of the skin. And what's your view on men and skincare? Do they need to get on the skincare train? Do you use the product? I use the product. So I use a face wash and I use the serum and I use the sunscreen if I go outside. I think the stereotypes and stigma associated with it are starting to fade. Mm -hmm. You know, f mostly I think sunscreen, all men use right away. You know, most people use it now without any question. There's no hesitation. And I think moisturizers are coming into play, like when it's dry out, you know, for your hands or for your face, like that's understanding. I think it's only a matter of time where like preventative type skincare will be common for men. The only thing I'll say is I have a feeling they're not going to be so liberal with their products. They're not going to want 30 products. I think they're more like a one and done type of thing. And the serum, you know, it's kind of unisex in design, in play. And when we did our clinical trials, we made sure we included a whole, whole wide of all skin types to cover this. But I think men will start getting on the train for skincare. I mean, they already do it with hair. I know hair is a big thing, and now there's hair supplements, hair shampoos, all these different products, which I'm sure 20 years ago, no one would be like, wow, they're using, you know, five different types of shampoos and droppers and this like that <laughs> to try to save the hair. Yeah. So I think it's only a matter of time. Yeah, I got to get my husband on it because he buys just like the basic body lotion that has, it's like full of fragrance and like, I don't like it. And he'll just like put that on his face after his shower. I'm like, just stop. You know, I'm going to put a, it's a better bottle than nothing. of the it's serum. It's better than yeah. nothing. It's better than it's nothing. It's true. It's better That's than true. nothing. That's true. Okay. So I made some fun, quick questions for us. Basically just things that I wanted to <laughs> ask you. This is what I do. This is why I have a podcast. I'm like, what do I want to ask these people? Okay. So moisturizer. Mm-hmm. I've always been under the impression that, because they talk about like locking the moisture into your skin. Mm -hmm. So if your skin is dry as a bone and you put moisturizer on it, mm -hmm. is it still going to be effective or should your skin already be damp? Like my mom used to always say, put on your cream after you get out of the shower because it'll lock in so the why, moisture. So I'll ask you, why do you think a hot shower and steam will help things absorb into your skin? What's open? So your pores are open, so the moisture. So the products can enter into the skin deeper. Okay. So that's so locking in the moisture is is true. So when you have a moisturizer and you put it on, you want it to absorb, but then you also want it to prevent evaporation over time. 
So that's what locking in the moisture is. And adding or putting products on after a shower is great because your pores are open, but it's also, you know, some products may burn or feel different than when you put it on dry because now more is getting in than before. So I would just follow the directions and sometimes they say apply after a shower, apply at night. But if not, I would just try it and see. But there's always a little kernel of truth to all of that. Yeah. These things that your mom tells you as you're growing up, they end up being true. (laughs) Okay. I already kind of got your thoughts on sunscreen, but do you think there is a way that sunscreens currently can be improved? Definitely. Okay. So I think the biggest hurdle in the United States is the regulatory factor. Uh If you look in Europe, they have tons of innovation. They have a ton of cool products coming out for sunscreen that are just as, if not more effective than what we have here in the United States. But you have that regulatory hurdle of, hey, if I want to invent a new compound to block, to, to put in sunscreen to be a UV filter... I have to go through a 10 plus year process that's millions. And it's probably expensive. Millions yeah. and millions and millions of dollars to then sell an ingredient for 25 cents a kilo or something. So, what like are that. the ingredients that are currently approved through this whole process? Yeah, so there's a whole list of them on the FDA website. Most of them, you'll know, it's like zinc and titanium, there's homosalicylate. Are those owned by pharmaceutical companies? So, a lot of things are off patent now. So, there's, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I think there's only one compound that is still patented that will be coming off very soon. I believe that's it. But all the rest are just general and they're generic compounds that people buy and put in. But there's very little innovation because you have to go through this massive hurdle to go in there. So we wanted, like, why bacillus lysate can be added to, to sunscreen is because we went the SPF booster route. So anything that's added to a sunscreen that helps improve the sunscreen's performance but is not the main SPF, you know, generating compound can be added and is not considered a drug. Mm. So instead of waiting 10 years to get bacillus lysate approved as its own UV filter, we said we'll just sell it as an SPF booster. So now there are companies that are using it and incorporating it in their sunscreens to enhance the protection factor. They still have to use the approved ingredients, but now they can add this on top of that to get even more protection. Do you ever walk through the mall or like, you know, a pharmacy and roll your eyes at skincare products? All the time. <laughs> You're like, yes, All, I have, my eyes hurt. <laughs> you know, what's so funny is I'll be out with my wife and kids and we'll be using something and I'll go, hey, I have to go check out Sephora. Yeah, yeah. And my wife, she she has makeup and stuff, but she's very minimalistic with that type of – she's like, I can't believe you're going in there. And I go in there and I talk to the sales rep. I like to see what they're saying, what they're doing, right? A little intel. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, I can't believe this, the stuff that's in there. And I'll look to see what's, what is the data, where's the results, where's this, and there's nothing there. But the way it's marketed and the way the people pitch it, it's like it's gospel for, for what's going on. So I roll all the time. And the prices, too. The prices, you know, it's, it's crazy. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. 
Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. If you ever wanted to be an influencer, you could go that route and just, you know what I mean? You you kind of have a conflict of interest now that you would have to disclose, obviously. But to be someone that has such a strong background in science in this area, to be able to debunk, you know, certain products, like the companies would hate you. But that would be wildly popular, I think, on TikTok. <laughs> well, I, I get asked these questions all the time. And yeah. people will say, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What's this? What's that? What's going on? And I'll just tell them, like, straight out yeah. how I feel and, and how I see it. And here's the data that supports it. And a lot of people are like, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's a crazy world out there. <sighs> do you have advice for moms that are currently listening to this episode who find themselves spending a bunch of money on skincare products. Yeah. I, you know, having two kids, I see the crazy, I experience the craziness every day. I mean, and the first thing I would say is why are you using your products? A lot of people get in the trap of the routine and they're more afraid to stop using it for what may happen than even understanding why they keep doing it in the first place. So I would say, look at what you're doing, assess the situation, and then do you still need this? Do you need that? And they may say, well, it helps with the wrinkles. Well, how do you know? Have you ever stopped using it? Have you seen any changes? So I would start pulling back like the, I don't want to say extraneous things, but the things that seem very niche and just, you know, keep the basic cleanser, moisturizer, sunscreen, and maybe a serum or, or something that you have for a, a trouble area, but pull away everything else. Because more is not better all the time. And just see how your skin reacts, see how it adjusts. And there are times where you have to wait a week or so because your skin has to reacclimate. It has to get used to things or, mm -hmm. or it has to purge or it has to reset. So if you stop using something and all of a sudden it's a little bumpy, don't freak out. Just wait a week because if the products are actually doing what they're doing, they should be able to go back to where you were if you start all over again. Yeah. So just assess what you're doing, see what you're doing, why you're doing it, and try to simplify your routine. I mean, it's you're hectic enough with the kids and stuff in the morning, running out the door doing it. You don't need 25 products. If you find one that does does everything you need, then you know, you're in business. Do we know how much of skin is genetic versus lifestyle? Yeah, genetic is a huge, a huge factor. But the things you do and you choose to do can impact the genetics of your skin. Mm -hmm. It's called epigenetics, things that in the environment that impacts your skin, right? And we're in a different environment now than our parents were and our grandparents were and, you know, the people before that. So if you live in urban environments with a lot of pollution and urban dust and, you know, a lot of blue light, that's going to be a completely different skin impact than if you're a farmer, right? 
But if you have good genetics, you should know, right? One, your parents will say, oh, I got good genetics, right? You see how your, your mom or your dad's aging, you say, okay, that's good. And then, you know, just try to minimize things in your life that stress your skin or stress your body or inflame your body. And that will go a long way. You know, minimizing sun exposure because or protecting with sunscreen is a major one. But even what you drink and eat all impacts your skin. Smoking impacts it. It's a whole bunch of different things. But I would say genetics are a main player. But those things that the extraneous things add up quickly. And once those changes happen, it's hard to, to bring them back. Let's say I have a spaceship going to space this afternoon, which I might. Are you coming? Oh, you better believe it. Really? So I've gone, like, I've never been to space, obviously. But I've gone to crazy places looking for extreme organisms. Yeah. I went 5,000 feet below the surface of the earth in an abandoned gold mine. Where it was 100 degrees. Where was this? I think South Dakota. Oh, okay. And it was crazy. Like, Indiana Jones style. You know, Temple of Doom, the little mine cars, yeah. pitch black. That's what it was like. And there was no light around except what was on your canteen. <gasps> I've taken samples from oil rigs, from from landfills, from trash heaps, from piles of farm animal waste. All looking, You're just all over the place. Yeah, looking for, for <laughs> all these crazy things because if they can survive and do the and and grow and produce compounds that are beneficial to us, I want to take them. And so how do you know that something is surviving in these environments? Like you go 5,000 feet oh, under yeah. earth, is it like, "Oh my god, there's a leaf." And you pull the leaf? Oh, we're looking at bacteria. So, so you're like doing a swab? We're swabbing. Oh, okay. And there's like, so I forgot what they call it, like silver cave or silver silver snot, something like that. But I could show you a picture later. And if you go in the caves, there's all this life forms coming out of the rocks. And there's all these things growing in these like tidal pools. And what's amazing is down in the mine, because it's abandoned, there's a lot of rusted equipment. Mm. And those are high oxidants. They promote breakdown and damage, yet these organisms are thriving in these oil pools and these rust pools with no light like high salt concentrations, which would normally be detrimental, they're growing like crazy. So I'm trying to biohack them to, to help so our skin. Yeah. So I would go in a heartbeat right to space That's right away. That's awesome. I would not. But no? I would wave So why do you have you, a spaceship? You... <laughs> <laughs> why do you... <laughs> I actually don't. Uh, Spoiler. What do you think is the biggest skincare myth? I think one of the biggest myths is that it's not even a myth. It's more like, you need something to treat something. So like hydration, for example, if you just drink two or three extra glasses of water a day, you will notice your skin looks better. We always want a product That's what, exactly. instead of like, I'll just drink some more water. Right. And yeah. guess what? That'll help so many other things. Yeah. And so the myth is that you need something. It's nice though to use something that makes your body more efficient instead of trying to hide something or cover something, or temporarily treat something. I mean, there are products out there, I'm sure you've seen them on TV, you put something under your eye, and then boom, it, the, it instantly lifts it, and the bags go away, but it comes back in two hours when the product wears off. So that's more of a Band-Aid, that's not treating the problem. But if you get more sleep, you, you, be, you, know, you practice a little mindfulness, and you drink more water, and you try to minimize stress, those things will fix itself. Yeah. It's the same with everything. Like, oh, I have heartburn. I'm going to take a pill instead of not eating the friggin' thing that's giving me heartburn. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. like, we just want products and medication. Well, and I think it's, we don't want to change our lifestyle. Yeah. 
I don't think people want to, this is me, you know. I I totally agree. They're like, oh, it can't be anything I'm doing wrong. It it has to be something else. I'm going to blame something else where it's like, okay, you know your body doesn't like jalapenos. Mm -hmm. So why do you eat jalapenos all the time when, and and supplement it with the antacid instead of just not, just like listen to your body. Like Mm -hmm. that's what it comes down to. Listen to your body. Totally. Is there anything on the market in the skincare world that you're like, oh, people shouldn't be putting that on their face? There are some ingredients that have, that get a bad rap, but a lot of this, like, as mo- the regulations are out there. There are regulations where they control and minimize the ingredients, at least ones made here in the United States. The bigger problem is importing cosmetics or products from other countries that are contaminated with things because you're assuming and trusting that they will manufacture and produce things with as good of products and at a high quality standard as we would here in the United States. But that's usually, I don't want to say that's not the case, but sometimes things happen over there and, you know, controlling your supply chain and understanding what goes in the products are, are more important, you know, than it's one of the most important things I should say. So as long as it's a good, reputable company, you can always email the companies and ask them. We get questions all the time from consumers. Does this do this? Does this do that? Are you certified this? Are you certified that? And we listen to our consumers and say, you know what? That's a good idea. So let's apply for, you know, all these different certifications. And yeah. So I'd be more worried about contaminants. My last question. Mm -hmm. Because your background's in food science. People must meet you. So I have a PhD in psychology Mm -hmm. and people come up to me all the time. They're like, oh my God, let me tell you about my sister. And I'm like, no, like my PhD was actually very niche. Like people don't understand (laughs) that a PhD is like the most niche thing that you could get. They just assume you know everything about the topic. Mm -hmm. So when you meet people and you're like, oh, I have a PhD in food science, what are the most common questions that you get asked? They usually ask me about organic food. They usually ask me about like processed foods. Yeah. They ask, you know, are McDonald's, McDonald's horrible? And what's really, what's really crazy is I tend to ruin food for people. Mm. So I will explain a process. I will explain how things are done. I will explain how a lot of marketing in the food or the the feel good aspects like organic and cage free. What that actually means is not what people think. Mm -hmm. The chickens are not roaming around in the sound of music pastures, Mm -hmm. like eating the worms. They're in a two-by-two space instead of a one-by-one space. I'm learning about this right now. Pasture-raised versus, And and like grass-fed, like one of the big things I remember, someone's like, oh, I only eat grass-fed beef because of all the unsaturated fatty acids that are in there. I said, well, listen, there's almost no unsaturated fatty acids. They're like, what are you talking about? They're eating all these plants that have all these omegas. And I said, well, there's a thing called biohydrogenation that happens in the, the rumen of a, in ruminant animals or in the stomach of cows where all that unsaturated fat gets converted to saturated fat. So even though you're, you're eating grass-fed beef and they're advertising that the feed has a bunch of omegas, omega-3s in there, all this stuff, it's not being converted into the meat because the bacteria are fermenting it into saturated fats. 
Okay. And that like this blows and that mind. blows people's minds. Oh, no, like my mind is yeah. blown. And Biohydro- my, biohydrogenation. My husband's not listening to this episode because I'm on a grass-fed beef kick and he's like, it's so expensive. So the other day he went grocery shopping and I'm like, make sure you get grass-fed beef. So he comes home, doesn't he print a label that says grass-fed beef, puts it on the package, and I thought it was grass-fed. <laughs> so there are other reasons. Like people like eating grass-fed is, you know, for the animal well-being and if you don't want to eat animal feed. But the omega aspects or the health benefits that some people say go with that, it's not there. And also people advertise as grass-fed, but they're not grass-finished. They're not 100% grass-fed. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, you know, it is what it is. So I tend to ruin food for people. Food ruiner. I explain like browning and a whole bunch of things that, that people. Is there anything that you don't eat? No, I eat everything. Oh, okay. Well, there you I'll go. even, you know, I always joke, you know, like this morning I had a donut. I went to a donut place down the road. I was like, I want a donut. Everything in moderation is what it is. I mean, if I ate three donuts a day, it'd be a little different. But if you just eat things in moderation and do things with intentionality, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be worried too much. Our, our food is is safe, even though what people say, they try to nitpick everything. Yeah. But in compared to other places in the world, in the planet, you know, we're doing pretty good over here. Where can people find your products? Right now, I think they're just being sold online. Just online right now on dailyvsciences.com. You know, the serum's up there. The eye cream's up there. You can go and look at all of our clinical trial data. You can read our backstory. You can see our certifications for the people, uh, you know, especially the animal lovers. You know, we're PETA certified. We're Leaping Bunny certified, cruelty-free, no testing on animals. We're coral reef friendly. It's certified to not harm the coral reef. We're certified natural certified space technology, list goes on and on and on and on. I can't even remember them all. There's so many. Oh, microbiome friendly. Oh. So that's something we didn't even cover, but the skin microbiome is very, very important. Mm -hmm. And we're just, I don't want to say we're just learning about it now, but we're just realizing how important it actually is. And the Instagram is at Sciences. Awesome. Well, this was a lovely conversation. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Of course. Ah, hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.